Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you today, Lord, wanting to hear from you. Lord, do the impossible this morning. Open our hearts. Bring us from darkness into life, Lord. Show us the beauty of your mercies and the goodness of your forgiveness. Speak to us now, Lord, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, if I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, I'm Pastor Rick, pastor here at Restoration. Uh, I would love to chat with you after the service back there in the foyer where there'll be donuts and, and coffee and all those such uh, good things. Uh, but I'd love to chat with you um, back then, uh, back there after the service. So maybe you've had recently uh, an experience like our family uh, has had. We've done things like this a couple of times recently where you're looking for a place to eat and you're trying to figure out in your mind, is this place still open? So one of our family's favorite restaurants is Family Dominguez. Uh, it's just around kind of the lake over here. It's like an orange uh, Latino restaurant. It is awesome. I highly commend it to everyone. Uh, we love Family Dominguez. And so when the government's COVID restrictions started to loosen up, we were like, oh man, we, we have to go to Family Dominguez. Like, let's go. And so we hopped in the car and we drove over there. Their website was pretty ambiguous. Uh, which is always a sign of a great restaurant if they don't care so much about their website. Uh, so their website was a little ambiguous, and so we didn't know if it was going to be open or not. So it was a rather unsettling drive over to Family Dominguez. Along the way, we wondered, you know, would they still be open? If this doesn't work out tonight, then what's going to be our plan B? And then if it's permanently closed, where in the world is going to be our next Family Dominguez restaurant? Well, thankfully, we arrived, and thankfully, praise be to God, it was open, enchiladas for the win. Yes. <laughs> now, as far as the pandemic is concerned, that is actually a pretty uh, mild and silly example of the great unsettling that we have all experienced this past uh, year and a half, going on two years now. Some of you have been hunting for a new job uh, of, of no desire of your own. Some of you have felt um, unsettled, unrooted from your neighborhoods and have been looking for a new uh, home to live in. Some of you simply turn on the news and see that it feels like we are in a world in collapse. I mean, even this morning, one of you was sharing a, a tragic um, headline that happened here in our own Twin Cities. But these are unsettling times, to say the least. It feels like we're all being uprooted right now, doesn't it? Writing in 1943, German exile living in England, Simone Weil says, to be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need of the human soul. To be rooted is perhaps the most important and least recognized need. Well, our God in heaven has given our church uh, a new home, a new building. And the building is currently being physically renovated right now. It's being refreshed right now. We hope to have services there in just a few weeks. Uh, before the service and our prayer gathering, we were just both um, talking about how eager we are for that, but also how much we're going to be missing this space and the memories that we've created here in this wonderful space. But not only are we preparing a place physically, but we're using this month to prepare our souls spiritually, to prepare our hearts for this new home that we're going to be stepping into. And so we're preaching through Bible passages that are going to be read at the building consecration service on October 30th. 
Please RSVP on our website for that, as a little aside. Last week, we looked at the prophet Haggai. This week, we're going to be looking at the words from St. Peter in his letter, uh, in his pastoral letter. So in 1 Peter, the apostle speaks to an uprooted people. He calls them earlier in the letter the dispersion. These are scattered believers who are scattered all throughout what is modern-day Turkey. And these are also communities without any status. He's writing to believers who are not a... Uh, important people. These are uh, slaves. These are servants. These are women who in those days were second-class citizens. And do you know what Peter says to these scattered people? He says, even though you are scattered, God is with you. Even though you are an enslaved people, you are a royal priesthood, he says. Even though you are impoverished, you are God's cherished possession. And this isn't just some sort of ancient motivational sort of pep talk. These are actual spiritual realities that the Apostle Peter is proclaiming over the followers of Jesus. So we are the gathered people of God. And we come together and we assemble together as a spiritual temple where the presence of God comes and dwells among us. And so what in the world does this mean to us today? What, what does this mean to Restoration Anglican here in 2021? Yes, this is pretty language, but what are the tangible, rubber-hits-the-road sort of realities that we experience because of these spiritual truths? Well, I think there are two main principles that we can glean from this passage. First, our cornerstone is Jesus Christ. We've been singing about that already this morning, haven't we? The Lord Jesus Christ is the living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So have you ever seen a, a building being built before? It's, it's different these days with poured foundations and things like that. But in the ancient world, builders would obsess and agonize over what the cornerstone would be in their, in their uh, new construction. The cornerstone had to be large, it had to be, perf- it had to be a perfect square. And when constructing a new building, that first, build, that first cornerstone that goes into the ground is of the utmost importance. And it has two main characteristics that you would look for in an ancient cornerstone. First of all, you want it to be as perfectly flat as it can be. Because other stones would be placed upon that cornerstone. And if that cornerstone was even remotely slanted or skewed off in some sort of way, The stones that are being planted upon it, well, they would become a little wobbly, wouldn't they? Like at minimum. Or at worst, they would totally slide off that cornerstone. If there was an earthquake that came, or a strong storm that blew up against the building, if it had a bad cornerstone, the rest of the stones would start to slant. The entire building would become less stable. But secondly, you want that cornerstone to have perfectly straight edges to it. You wanted it to be this elegant square. Because other stones would be lined up against it horizontally. And if the the sides of the stone were not uh, at a perfectly right angle, if they weren't absolutely straight, then as the sort of, I guess, arms of that foundation started going out, they would go in different directions, wouldn't they? And then as you started to fill in the rest of the cornerstones, you'd notice there's these weird gaps here and there. And those gaps would also emerge throughout the rest of the structure. 
Uh, Lena and I, last night, were working on a puzzle, and we kind of ran into this same principle. You know how sometimes when you're working on a puzzle, and it's like an ocean or a sky where everything's like the same color, and we're working on the edges, and every now and then we'd realize like, oh shoot, usually this is what I would do. I would cram a puzzle piece in its spot, you know? And there'd be a little bit of a gap there, and I'd be like, no, no, this is totally the right spot. But then later, as you're looking, it's like, no, this isn't the right spot. And you start noticing all these other gaps and cracks in the rest of the puzzle. Well, the same is true of a building, a 3D puzzle, you could say. You'd find these gaps, these misalignments of your building. If the cornerstone wasn't straight and true, there would be disunity among the stones. The entire structure would then become uh, uh, vulnerable to rising floods. Water would come in more easily, or harsh winds would be able to blow through, and it wouldn't be insulated from the elements. I think you get my point. The cornerstone is important. (laughs) The cornerstone must be flat and true. So what about us? What about restoration? What's our cornerstone? Man, I love being Anglican. I think it's super fun. I love learning about the traditions of our spiritual mothers and fathers. And I love how those traditions sort of shape our spiritual habits and our life together, the church calendar, the prayer book. I love these things. But if our conversations here at this church become more about being Anglican than following Jesus, then we're building this church on the wrong cornerstone. Also, we just got this beautiful building. What a great building it is. But if we obsess over that building, we start um, wanting to do all these sort of extraneous ways of adorning and beautifying this space, which are things that we should do. But if we do that at the expense of our mission and our outreach and our call to Jesus Christ, then we're building this church on the wrong cornerstone. Our cornerstone is not Joe Biden. Our cornerstone is not Donald Trump. Our cornerstone isn't Taylor Swift or N.T. Wright. I, I was going to say a football player, but I, I can't think of one besides like Joe Biden, which, or not Joe Biden, Joe Madden. <laughs> but I don't think Madden's playing anymore. He's probably an old guy. These, anyway, whatever. Those our sports figures are not our cornerstones either. Our cornerstone is not you. The cornerstone is sure as heck not me. That'd be a terrible cornerstone. The cornerstone... Our foundation, our rock, is Jesus Christ, and nothing less than Jesus Christ. And this cornerstone is not cold. This cornerstone is not still. The Bible tells us that the cornerstone that we have is living. Jesus is a living stone. He's not dead, quite the opposite. God in his authority, in his love, in his approval of what Jesus Christ accomplished on the cross, God raised him up from the dead, where he now, and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus Christ is our living stone. He received the great amen from God at his resurrection. Our cornerstone is Jesus Christ, the living Lord. So if we were to hop on a plane and fly over to Europe, and look at these beautiful old um, churches, and we were to admire um, all the artwork there and the masonry. Uh, If it was a super old church, it might have like a crypt in it, like an old, uh, uh, what do you call it, tomb, right, a crypt, You, you know what I'm talking about, right? And this is where kings and queens are buried and other nobles and important dignitaries of, of the ancient and medieval world. And their figures of the dead 
are carved into the lids of their tombs. You can go and you can get an idea of, of how they dressed and what they looked like. Their cold shapes would remind us of the expired empires that they once ruled over. And there they would lie silently in the dim light. But not so are the Christians of God's temple. Just as Jesus Christ is the living stone, so too are the rest of us. We are living stones with the spirit of the resurrected Christ endued and sealed within our hearts. We are the dwelling place of the living God. God's architecture is biological. I love that. I read that in a commentary. God's architecture is biological. So verse 5 says, You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. As God's good news of his kingdom spreads and more believers are brought into the fold and, and as we uh, have children and, and, and bring them into the fold as well, God's house grows as living stones are added to it. We are the redeemed, the washed people of God. And we're given a special task. We're not just to be put on display or anything like that. Uh, we are given a special task. Verse 5 in our passage and verse 9 uh, have parallel statements in this. They're meant to kind of be two sides of the same coin. They're describing in different words the same idea. The holy priesthood offers up spiritual sacrifices, which we read in 5. And then down in 9, we see that we are to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. In other words, we are a temple that moves and breathes, that sings, and even dances. I love that we're back in this space because sometimes after the service, the children dance over in the sides. I love that. We are a living, vibrant temple, moving and worshiping our God because that is what we are being, that's what being uh, described here in 1 Peter is that we are the worshiping people of God, offering spiritual sacrifices and declaring the excellencies of God. So what does worship look like? What does worship look like? Well, first, we praise God for who he is. Hallowed be thy name. Holy is your name, we say every week. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is the source of all goodness and beauty and truth and love. But secondly, we praise God for what he has done. Not just who he is, but what he has done. He is the God who has set into place the sun and the moon, the stars and the sea. As Job says, he armors the crocodile. As the psalmist says, he feeds the goats on the hills. His eye is on the sparrow, which we sung about this morning. He has numbered every hair upon your head. Our God raises up kings and he brings them down. But above all, he is the one who rescues his people. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So friends, this is an uprooted, shifting world. What foundation do we have in this world? But thanks be to God, we are rooted upon Jesus Christ, our cornerstone, the Alpha and the Omega. And we together are living stones forming a holy temple, declaring the excellencies of God. So let's talk about our building for a second. 
So in light of all of this, in light of Christ being our cornerstone, in light of us being living stones, a holy temple, do we need a building? Do we need it? Good news, I I sold it back. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) That's not where I'm going. (laughs) Doubled my money. Yeah, I sold it for $2. Yeah. (laughs) We bought it for $1, so I I doubled our investment. There we go. You're welcome. (laughs) No, do we need a building? Do we need a building? I think if anything, these last four years of Restoration's existence has been one great, beautiful experiment that has demonstrated to us that we don't need a that we don't need a building. These last four years have proven that God still works in powerful and profound ways to a resourceless people meeting in a smelly gymnasium with stinky wrestling mats and. The, the blessed sportsmanship code, <laughs> the, the balls stuck up in the basketball hoops up there. For two and a half years before the pandemic, we worshiped in this space, in this very room. And time and time again, I heard many of you come and say that you had nearly given up on the faith, that you had nearly given up on Jesus Christ, but then somehow God brought you into this holy temple and he restored your soul back to him. That is remarkable. Your children have been baptized in this room, in this very spot. Weekly, you've been nourished here at this holy temple, which by the way, or this holy altar, it's a folding table on stilts. But God has been meeting us here, like in this common place. How amazing is that? We are a living temple. And then when the pandemic hit, we weren't meeting anywhere. You rose up and formed a care tree, is what we called it, a network of compassion and service. And you ministered to one another through acts of service and financial giving and sharing. It was a beautiful season. And then finally, we were able to meet together for an outdoor service, and we broke our sacramental fast because we hadn't been participating in Holy Eucharist, and we broke that sacramental fast with one another. And you came forward with tears in your eyes, as you were nourished by the Lord Jesus Christ, outdoors, under the oaks. You know, what a beautiful, amazing moment. And then, the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday, we were in an old movie theater, and you, our artists and designers, our craftspeople, our our, um, dreamers, our storytellers, you came together in this old movie theater, and you told the story at our great Easter vigil of the marvelous deeds that God has done through his people over the ages. So what is God doing? Why is he giving us a building? Do we even need a building? Well, friends, I think that God is giving us this building as a physical sign of the spiritual realities that we have been experiencing for the last four years. This is a sacred tool for us. It is a physical sign of spiritual realities. Because the reality is this. In Christ, you have been given a home. In Christ, you've given, been given a home. The world is an un- unsettling place. We are all wounded and disturbed. We're all uprooted people. But in Jesus Christ... We are given a home. Once we were not a people, but now we are a people. So in the midst of this turmoil, 
God gives you a home. And I say that both to those of you who've been with Restoration for a long time and those of you who maybe this is your first Sunday here. God is offering you a home in Jesus Christ. And maybe that's at Resur- or here at Restoration. Maybe it's at another church. I don't want to somehow imply that this is the only place that God moves. He is moving all throughout the Twin Cities in other denominations in many wonderful ways. But in our congregation, he's giving us a home. This is a place where we sacrifice, we give of ourselves for the sake of Jesus Christ and his kingdom. It's a place where through art and story, we tell the glorious deeds of God's excellencies. We reflect his beauty back to a neighborhood, back to uh, the world around us. It will be a place of worship, a place of prayer, a place of healing, a place of hope will be our building. And may we never forget that the building is not our cornerstone. It is Jesus Christ. So my question for us is, what is your cornerstone? Where are you currently rooted? What is the home for your soul? And if you're here today and you're feeling unsettled and uprooted, perhaps maybe there's a a restlessness in your soul that you find hard to articulate. Well, I invite you to, to consider rooting yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. Any other cornerstone that this world offers is crooked and wobbly. Only Jesus Christ is that sure foundation that gives rest to the soul. Or maybe you've walked with Jesus Christ your entire life, but now you find yourself in a season where things just feel kind of off. And again, maybe you're not able to describe it. But I wonder, what it, maybe that feeling is an invitation from the Lord to examine your heart, to truly ask yourself in the quiet moments of your life, what is the cornerstone of my heart right now? What is the, what is the standard by which I am ordering all the things in my life? Because if there is a restlessness that's there, that might be the Holy Spirit's way to redirect you to Jesus Christ. So in a few moments, we're going to come forward to the Lord's table. And in the eating of spiritual food, may we be reminded that we are being built up as a spiritual house. The Lord Jesus sets a table for us, and he nourishes us, his living stones, so that we can go about his holy tasks of proclaiming to a lost and broken world that Jesus Christ redeems and restores and rescues sinners. God is rooting us that we might be his, his royal priesthood to proclaim the mighty deeds to a new generation. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we are blown away by your grace. Lord, in the, in the many sort of gifts that you've given us, but supremely in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for leaving the heavenly places for walking among us, for dwelling with us, was clearly in your son, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, you are building us up as a living temple. May we not be distracted, Lord. May we not find other things to root ourselves to, because everything else is shaky except for you, Lord Jesus Christ. May our building never distract us. We pray all these things in your name. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Amen and Amen.